You know, I really have to thank the Historical Society for humoring me. The last time they humored me when I wanted to talk about modernism in this area was for a Canyon Village. And Artie Crisp, this guy, was in the audience, and he convinced me to write a book about it. So hopefully he's not here, because I don't think I have another book in me about, at least about the life of Montana building. But um, they've been very good about humoring me um, and allowing me to talk about... We've all driven... Well... Many of us have driven by I-90 and wondered about this beautiful, I really call it a temple on the hill, and I know I am not the only one, because I've talked, to, talked with Nancy and um, Janet Orr. There are a number of us that really regard this building highly as a what we thought was a mid-century building, a temple on the hill. Great place for it. I didn't show a photo of the D.A. Davidson building in Butte, but that's what you don't want to do with a modern building. Plop it into a historic downtown where you can't appreciate it. On this hillside, you can really appreciate this building, if indeed you're so inclined, I guess. Um, I always assumed it was mid-century. So I thought 1965, maybe 1968. Well, as Christine already mentioned, it's certainly not that. It's much later. It was actually finished in 1980. So I started wondering, what's the deal with that? I was reading the National Register nomination for the federal building in Bozeman, they didn't even mention this building. And that's why. I mean, it's not even 50 years old yet. But it's all because of the Life of Montana insurance company, Lomic. And this is the Polk Directory ad at its transition in time. It started in 1957 as the Gallatin National Life Insurance Company. But, and then in 1970, you get this man named Herbert E. Richards. He had been a life insurance agent since 1953 in Bozeman. And he came along and he lifted this company up into great wealth and broad scope. But I think his what is it, the eyes bigger than the mouth type of thing. I think he tried to grow too big, unfortunately. So there is the demise as well as the rise. But um, Herb entered in in 1970, and in 1971, he changed the name of the company to the Life of Montana Insurance Company. That shows you, it really represents that broader interest that he's trying to navigate. He wants it not just to be Gallatin. I mean, it's the whole state. And in fact, he was able, with um, legislation that was new, he was able to go out and invest in out-of-state companies. This was new legislation that allowed that. So he merged and consolidated. And initially, in 1971, uh, the Life of Montana company merged with the insurance. Oh, I have to read it. Sorry. The Insurance Investment Corporation of Oklahoma City and the Equity National Life Insurance Company of Phoenix. So you see there's kind of a broad scope there. And they ended up buying more and more, built more and more um, insurance companies. And what happened was their assets in 1970, $980,000, okay? In 1976, it was $4.5 1984, it was $40 million reported to be 40 million. There's controversy as to whether that really was their actual worth and how much of that worth was in the state insurance um, agency's coffers because they were the backup for when an insurance company might fail. You can see here this talks about being at, I think, 27 North Tracy. That's where they were when they were the Gallatin. Nat, the, um, you all know this building. It's been changed considerably over the years. It does show up on early Sanborns. I think it's been added onto, and obviously the, well, the front is kind of a 
I'm not sure when they changed that, but tried to make it kind of Art Deco. But it's, it's been there since 1884. So, um, and it's also, it's been a creamery. It was an auto storage building. And you can see our lovely Etha Hotel rising up behind it on the top of our armory. No commentary there. Um, then they moved to North, to 28 North Black in 1974. This is now a parking lot, and this is what happened when the life of Montana Insurance Company grew enough to move from 28 North Black. They sold the land to the city. For reports are either parking garage or parking lot, but in, indeed it ended up just being a parking lot. So life of Montana kept growing though, and they bought 89% of this transwestern life company in July 1975. They um, this is a company in Billings, and they have that um, had that building as well. Herb Richards is at the front of all of this. He's a main driver. The man was about, let's see, I figured 44, 45 at the time. So he's young. He's probably in his prime. He won't talk to me. <laughs> he's now about 93, I figure, and I'm still trying to get hold of the man. I would love to really pick his brain. But they did expand, you know, so they bought Glacier Life in Kalispell in 1977, um, and they continued to expand across the state and outside of the state. They were in Great Falls in 1978, and this logo, very 70s, right? This was designed by, I don't know if this program still exists, the uh, MSU School of Art Industrial Design Program. I imagine it's changed its name now, but it's, I can't even figure out what letter is what when I look at that logo, but Indeed, it's the Life of Montana's logo. And they expanded into South Dakota as well in 1981. Not only were they buying companies from other states, they were expanding to other states as well. They also, as many life insurance companies do, they invested in real estate. They needed to make money. You have to have some resources to be able to pay those policyholders, right? So they invested in land in Sealy Lake. Some of you have been to the Double Arrow Ranch. It's a beautiful ranch. It's a nice old dude ranch that's actually listed in the National Register now. And they bought 770 acres there in the early 70s and then developed it into um, a resort, tennis courts, condos, houses. And you can see this ad there that this land can be your land. You can buy it. You can develop there. And it's a really beautiful area. And they did this under the guise of the Life of Montana Development Corporation. They did end up selling it in 1977 to a limited partnership. There are regulations that I still have to dive further into about how much and how insurance companies can make their money. Their hands seemingly were tied, if you hear what um, Herb Richard says to say. Um, and I think that they probably sold this because it didn't end up making them the money that they wanted. There was a lot of work for them to get the roads, the sewer, to get things passed in this area. It took a long time to get it off the paper and into actual land and groundbreaking. But they did get to do groundbreaking in Bozeman. And this is where they worked um, closely with the city. This is where Sabo comes in. They had a lawyer in Bozeman who was able to navigate this land transfer between the two. You see the 12.3 acres, the 12.5 with the big white dot in it. That's the life of Montana building. In its 12.5 acres, they traded this land south of the cemetery. And they got the land next to the, that the city had owned next to the city softball area complex. So they navigated that. That took a little while. That took a couple of years. This is actually 1976 when they started this trade. And the city actually rezoned the land at 601 Haggerty Lane, which is where the Life of Montana building was constructed. 
And this was a great find in the Gallatin History Museum. This is the building that the Life of Montana Company was in on 28 North Tracy. They just happened to have a photo of the move. This building was moved to create that parking lot, right? But they didn't just tear it down. They moved it, it the article says, east on Main Street. And uh, I will show you where it is, because it's still around, it's great. Without these trades though, Lomick, let's call it that, said that they, if they couldn't get these trades, and they could, there's another deal they got from the city, if they couldn't get that, they would move their headquarters to Billings. There's the threat. You're going to lose 45 employees. They're going to go elsewhere. And so certainly the city's paying attention to this. In December 1977, the city issued a low-interest, tax-free revenue bond to Lomic, which saved them $100,000. Not a bad deal. So I have a red circle there because my husband tells me never use the laser. So the red circle there is for the fan light and the side lights. And you'll see them in this building, which if you're driving north on Highland and hitting um, Main Street as it's going towards the highway, there's the fan light and the side lights. The building is stuccoed. It was actually stuccoed at some point earlier in time as well, according to the Sanborn maps. But I imagine after the move, they had to do a fair amount more stuccoing to cover up because you'll, you'll see from that, I don't think there's any stucco on there at that point. It was a frame building. And it's, it has a real interesting history. It's not female lodging. I know you're looking for that. But it was lodging and boarding and tenements and all sorts of things over its lifespan. And it expanded and shrunk. It's really a pretty interesting little story. There are people that, I mean, you know, there are tenants in here now. Um, it's a great form of um, adaptive reuse, I think. But all this was so that the Life of Montana building could, uh, Life of Montana Company could build a new building. As I said earlier, they were pretty good at getting money from other people. They received one of, there were 83 grants, 450 applicants from the Department of Energy for solar energy, solar production. So they received $208,000 from the feds, $59,500 from our state, our Department of Natural Resources, to, make, to, to include solar heating panels to heat this building. They thought they would only be able to heat about 30% of the building. They ended up, it was actually more of a success story, which is really good because there was a lot of controversy around this as well. Because apparently Richards knew this, the governor just maybe a little too well. So people thought, why did he get this grant? So there was a bit of hullabaloo about that, but ultimately because the system performed so well and it was a very good, and it was really meant to be an experiment. And because the Department of Energy, this was early, they were trying to figure out what can we do with solar energy. These panels, are still there, and that's the building behind it. This is April, you know, 1978, they're announcing the groundbreaking, they move in in 1980. But where did this design come from? There was an article that said, it was a design modified from a similar building in Texas. What do you do with that? I started looking on all these sorts of modern websites for Texas buildings. That's kind of a stab in the dark. It is interesting to note that Herb Richards himself came from Texas. I learned this from Richard Shanahan who, is a Bozeman architect and he's considered the architect of record. We actually have a quasi building permit for this in Bozeman, stunned me. What do you call it, gobsmacked? Something like that. It turns out that this building in Waco, Texas was the Waco Savings and Loan. Yes, this is very prescient that there are two of them because 
Exactly. 11 bays wide, six, I mean, long, six bays wide. It's the exact same building. And Richard Shanahan relayed that they just used the same plants. They used the same foundation, even though this soil was much better than the soil in Texas. So there's, you know, very th a very thick pad for a foundation over which the finished floor is that was not necessary, but it was built because that's what the original drawings had. We could not get away with this today with our copyright laws. I don't know if Waco Savings and Loan knew that their building was being copied exactly somewhere else. So Richard was the architect of record. He had been looking for work. There were only like four or five architects in town at the time. He'd been looking for work. He called Herbert because he heard something going on. And he got the job to essentially oversee construction. And he had pretty steady work for a year. That was a good gig, right? But I should have brought him up here to talk about the design of the building because he wasn't actually so keen on it. I haven't been able to get exactly the architect. It was R.I. Architects. I still cannot run them down. But the building in Waco was built in 1973. So it really wasn't even a mid-century modern either. You know, we do, we kind of copy the beautiful, pristine versions of what we call formalism. And this one was designed by a far more prominent firm out of uh, Texas, William Morris Crane and Anderson. I was hoping they had designed the Waco Savings and Loan, but I can't find any confirmation of that. But this is a 1962 building in Houston that is really the epitome of what we call formalism or neo-formalism, where you have, let's see, we have flat projecting roof lines. It's a very ordered and smooth wall surfaces, typically, high quality materials. And Richard had said that this is a, our, our Life of Montana building was very well built. Columnar supports, and, and actually ours extend out from the building so you can read them so much more and see how slender they are. This is a steel building. And it's interesting because uh, that's just another example of what neoformalism is supposed to be. This is the epitome, according to GSA. This is, can't remember uh, the name of the building. Um, oh, right, the Paul Rogers Federal Courthouse. This is also from 1973. So I'm kind of readjusting my, in my mind, when neoformalism really played its strongest role. But, and there's a very strict symmetry that you can see there. But so going back to the Life of Montana building, see how, that's a skinny, skinny column. So these were all steel. And, and Dick relays that six to eight plasterers Old guys in their 70s from North Dakota came and plastered, stuccoed all these columns and the soffit and the fascia there. Now, behind that, I'm not sure you can really read it, but we've got concrete. I loved talking with Kirk about this because one thing that happens in the 60s and 70s, particularly the early 60s, you start seeing more crane use on construction sites and they, because they can lift these big precast panels. And I've got a theory going, and I should have looked at this earlier, because my theory is that the aggregate got larger and larger over the years, from the 60s through the 80s, when you were looking at precast concrete. And this does have larger aggregate. So I have to see how well that plays out, I guess, over the whole state. But the, the detailing is just really lovely. Although, mind you, it was a building built for Texas. There's a lot of glass, and so that was one of the complaints the public had about the solar panel system, because wow, we're paying to heat a lot of, you know, a lot of building when why, we, why do we have so much glass in our climate? The highest monthly bills were $688 when it first opened. They had anticipated the monthly bills to be $3,200 to heat the building. DOE called it one of the best demonstration projects we have.
period. The architect was stunned as well. And there they are. The panels are still there. I've been told that they don't work at this point. And that's not uncommon for panels of this age. The interior, a lot of people ask. I mean, it's this beautiful lobby. It's very warm. Dolan's sculptures are in there. He's a local Bozeman artist. These are you know, beautiful bronze eagles. And the wood is just, it's very warm and comforting. It's good quarry tiles, so very, you know, floor, so very easy to maintain. And this is a, a lobby that bifurcates the building. And you can look from, it's kind of like shotgun in a sense. You can look from one side all the way through the other. So you're looking north-south through the building. And some more details of that, just to get an idea. And that is, this has not been changed. Montana Water Court was in there for a little while. And this is their grand opening. They did have room for other people, um, other firms to lease in there. And so that's why we did have the Montana uh, Water Court. And these bragging rights, though, they didn't last long. Because as I said, the firm essentially hit the wall in 1984. Part of it's that we did have a deep recession in the early 80s. I think also, as I said earlier, I think they might have tried to grow too big. What ended up happening was that Life of Montana was swallowed by a much larger company called the American Plan Insurance Company, and it was based out of Texas, of all places. But, oh, and here, the, talking about, you know, the ads that you have, uh, if you're great pride for your building, this was the ad for the Waco Savings and Loan. I still, I've just got to know that it's the same building. And here's the man of the hour. There's Herb himself. He thought when the American Plan Insurance Company bought Life of Montana in 1983, that it would infuse all this funding into the company, that they could double the number of employees in two years. He, and I forgot to mention, they did, I mean, they, oh, I did mention the incredible growth. They were like 40 million by 1983. But he made a pretty sweet deal for himself. He was given 2.7 million. He was given seven years of life insurance and health insurance. And then he retired the next year for, he said, health purposes. But then it went through various phases, you know, so we have the American Plan Corporation trying to get the uh, insurance company more solvent, and they were not very successful. And it went back and forth for a couple of years there between them and the state as to whether it was considered solvent or not. And, you know, the state is kind of backing up the policyholders. So they get down to like twelve or 15,000 policyholders, and they have declared it insolvent. The Texas firm in 1988, so it was placed into rehab, Rehabilitation in 1987 and 1988, a Texas firm comes in to be able to essentially get it out of bankruptcy and, to, and make sure to take care of those 12,000 policyholders. And then the, the actual company was actually liquidated in 89 and dissolved in 1990. And what's left now is one tenant, as far as I can tell. You can go into the building sometimes. I was relaying to someone the other day that I went in there like three years ago and got yelled at. Well, I had a camera. <laughs> but, you know, I really consider it very much a public building, and perhaps I shouldn't. It is a private building. It's interesting that the Life of Montana sign is still there, and I think we all have that direct association. And I know that there are plenty of people in Bozeman that probably know this story very intimately because it's a very recent story, really. It's only 30 years old. It is actually medically related, but so they're the sole tenant in there. I did have certainly help as anyone always does with these types of projects and I know there's more to be delved into. If any of you have stories to share, I'd love to hear them. Whether it's about your childhood or concrete or the life of Montana building. <laughs> Thank you.